Welcome to the More Than Corporate podcast, where we discuss finding fulfillment, defining success, and living your best life. There's no roadmap to success, no one-size-fits-all answer to fulfillment. I believe it requires us all to be vulnerable and authentic about what we want to accomplish and have the courage to step out of our comfort zone to chase our dreams. Keep listening to hear stories from inspiring people who make it their mission to live their best life every day. Welcome back to the show, everyone. My name is Amber Furman, and this is episode 46 of the More Than Corporate podcast. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today on the show, I have this really cool interview with Michael Faber. Michael is a father, a son, a serial entrepreneur, author, coach, strategist, and executive director of the Joseph Patrick Faber Memorial Foundation, which is named in honor of his brother. The founder of Unleash You Now, where the goal is to unleash every single person's greatness on this earth. He also has this dream to end suicide and self-injurious behavior. He believes that we can do this through deeper levels of connection. If you've ever heard him talk, you know that he talks about never dying twice. I did a recap of my experience at Unleash You Now in an episode that you can find wherever you listen to podcasts. And I talked about Michael's never die twice mentality. However, we will get into that and have him explain it as well as far as what that means. We had such a great time talking that this interview actually went much longer than expected. And I turned it into two episodes. So this is going to be the first half of the interview with Michael, where he really gets into talking about what it was like for him growing up, breaking through self-limiting beliefs to become the person that he is now. We learn a lot about Michael, some of the things that he's had to go through and the struggles and challenges and how he overcame them. In the next episode that we'll launch next week. He really gets into where he is now, the the foundation, and things to that effect. So look forward to that next week. This really is an awesome interview, and I didn't want to cut it short. So two episodes it is. Before we jump into the interview with Michael, I wanted to take just a minute to invite you guys over to the More Than Corporate Community Facebook page. If you're not already a part of that, it is growing, and I'm super excited to see the level of interaction and motivation and positivity that exists in that group. So I would love to have you be a part of it. You can head over to Facebook, search More Than Corporate Community, and request to join that, and I'll go ahead and accept that, and you can be a part of that wonderful community. Without any further ado, let's go ahead and jump into the interview with Michael. Michael, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. I was honored and humbled that you would even ask me. Oh, of course. So for those of you who don't know, I met Michael at an event in Delaware in November that he organized with his team, Unleash You Now. And if you've listened to the podcast, you've no doubt heard me talk about that event multiple times. So this is the the man behind the magic with that. Um, and so I wanted to bring him on to talk about his story and his team and all of that good stuff. So thanks again for joining us. One of the things that I really like to start with, because I think that it's really cool to see people's history and how they grew up, is what was it like for you growing up as a child, and did you expect this to be how your life turned out? Oh, I mean, let's, I'll start second question first. Did I expect my life to turn out this way? Absolutely not. <laughs> I grew up, I was a troublemaker. Uh, I, was a, I was a schemer. I was voted in high school most likely to be like dead or in jail by 21. That's awful. By my, by my peers. So that's <laughs> just telling you how good I was. Uh, and you know what? They, I, I can't even argue. They were pretty much you know, on point. If I continue living that life, I probably would have been. Uh, so 
my life is the story of the guy that made like every mistake you could make. And, you know, by good people, uh, people not quitting on him and, and kept believing in me uh, and just relentless opportunities. Got me. <laughs> I think the opportunities fought harder than me. Uh, got me in, uh, a chance to uh, change that a couple of times. Um, there's so much that you just said that I think needs to be unpacked. And the number one thing is like the good people around you. Like the fact that who we surround ourselves with is so important. And we often talk about it in the personal development world as like um, helping you grow to the next level. But it's interesting to hear you talk about it in a way of like just pure survival. Mm, all right. They, uh, I, I always say the people around me, like, especially years and years and years ago, the people around me saved me from myself. Uh, at, you were at the conference where I, the one, the only Q one now where I spoke and I said, uh, for a long time, in my story, I was the villain. I was the bad guy to other people and definitely to myself. Yeah. I loved that. <laughs> that, that was a time where people had to protect me from me. And that's, that's tough. That's a wearing yeah. thing. Right? Yeah, I'm sure. You had, you had so much going on and not only just in your life in fighting your circumstances, but just like your family life that mm -hmm. when you say the opportunities wouldn't give up, it's so, it's so interesting to see that type of a positive outlook from um, a situation that, or from a person that's had such tragedy in his life. Right. I, uh, you could say, I, I always did this. It was this weird the way of looking at it for me. It's that I didn't have to have it hard. I chose to have it hard. Like I made the decisions to go down the road of difficult, right? Like some people, they, they have no choice. Me, I was so dumb that I had the choice <laughs> and picked the harder road. When do you think that turned around for you? Like when do you think you started realizing that you were making the choices to make your life difficult? Really, when I found out, uh, I was still somewhat young. I found out I was having, I like to think I'm young now. Uh, I, I found out I was having a daughter, right? Everybody goes to college, get a degree. I went to college, get a daughter. Starts <laughs> with the same letter, but I messed the rest up like normal. But it was the, the greatest thing that could happen at the time because literally, uh, and I, I say this and it's not joking, uh, it's that my daughter like saved my life and became my life in a heartbeat because uh, my, right, my, my father died when I was younger, uh, when I was a teenager. So I, uh, I didn't want my daughter not to know me Right? Like I wanted her to be able to have memories of me and not memories where if I was in uh, behind, behind bars, which uh, I was really good at uh, getting to that point. And then uh, also dead. Like I, I didn't, I didn't want that to happen. And I know at some point I'm going to be, but I wanted it to be where she had that relationship. So if anything ever happened, because nothing's guaranteed that we had, she had that to go back to. And that's kind of what m made me start questioning myself in a way to say, why are you doing this? Is this what's best? Is this, is, are you sure you want to do it? Is it worth it? Right. Cause, uh, and, and I said that on stage too, uh, not if it's fair, but is, is it going to be worth it? And that was my, that was one of my, my mom was my first angel. Uh, my daughter was my second. Oh, that's amazing. Um, one, there's so much that you said from stage that I want to talk about, but the, um, I know that you had a history in, in the restaurant industry and you have a food truck now. Was, were, you, were you active in the food industry before or is that kind of when you started to pull yourself out of your bad decisions? No, I was active in the restaurant business. It's, it's kind of like it's been a family thing. So I kind of grew up in it and it made me very comfortable 
to be in a high pressure situation, something I understood, right? So uh, when I was young, <laughs> I was a schemer, right? So uh, people say I was an entrepreneur at birth. Uh, I don't believe that because I don't think you're like that comes with it, but I was always scheming and trying to find ways. And I talk about a little bit in the, the first book I wrote, which is pretty much the saying my younger story. I used to go, I used to look, look on the corners. I walk on the street and find change. I'd walk down to the corner store. And I'd buy penny candy. And I'm old enough where it was actually a penny. Yeah, yeah. And, all right. And I would go get a bag of penny candy. And I, you know, if I found 25 cents or 50 cents, I would, I would get 50 pieces. And then I would sell it for like five cents for two pieces to the people that lived in my area that were too lazy to walk to the store. Uh, and then I would get enough money to buy a three pack baseball card and I would eat the bubble gum literally. And then uh, I would go sell the cards. And I'd like literally try to do that every day, all day. That was my whole, that was my game plan. That was my, that was my day. And then uh, in my mom and dad's restaurant, uh, there was a guy, uh, the keyboard player, Bob on keyboard. And I would take my bongo set and put a cup up and sit next to him and just play the bongos. And I would have uh, like over a hundred dollars in tips at the end of the night. How and, old were you when you were doing that? When you were doing the bongos? Oh Lord, five, six, seven. That's awesome. That just had to be because like people saw this like cute little five-year-old kid right. that they wanted to give money to. No skill. If you ever see me, I know how to play instruments and I'm not good at them. And uh, it, it definitely wasn't because of talent. It was because I had blue eyes and red hair. And, uh, you know, they were like, oh, look at this special kid playing the bongo. But even uh, like, And I was wrong. Some of the things I did, like my dad would give me roses. My dad and mom would give me roses to go hand out to the woman on uh, Valentine's Day. And I would hand a rose to the woman and put my hand out to the guy. <laughs> And the guy would just put money, and I had wads of money in my pockets that night. Oh my gosh, that's so amazing. (laughs) That's so amazing. I mean, there's something that you just said there that I think is so important for anybody who's trying to start a business or start doing anything, because so many times we get stuck in the imposter syndrome of anybody can go do this, so why would people buy it from me? And that's initially what I thought about when you were talking about going to the store and getting the penny candy and then selling it for two cents is that people will buy it for two cents if they see a reason to do so, which is that they don't have to get up and go to the store. So when we're crafting our products and our services in whatever business you're in, people may be able to find the information that you have, but they will buy it from you so that they don't have to go through and do that. And I think that your penny candy scenario is a perfect illustration of that. Yeah, that's why I could see that. It was, uh, is it easier to gain something already gained or to be the one that has to go gain it? Absolutely. Absolutely. For sure. I mean, and and there's something to be said for people who put it together and then everybody puts their own spin on it and things to Mm -hmm. that effect. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. when did coaching become, or strategizing, I know the word coach is so overused, but when did this idea of using your experiences and your knowledge and your education to help others through their roadblocks become a passion and a, a career path for you? You know, it's funny. It's, it's in a way I've been coaching basketball. I've been coaching sports 20 years. Um, so I was coaching. I just didn't understand that's what I was doing. And I thought it was because I always told everybody it was unfair because I met my first love and I was like, four, other than my mom, I met my first love because I don't want to, after she listens to me, I don't want to get hit. So, um, <laughs> Yeah, after my mom, I met my first love when I was like three or four years old, and it was a basketball. And I wasn't, I wasn't necessarily very good at it when I, especially when I first, when I first found out about basketball, I was horrible at it. But I loved it. I loved the game. I loved the idea of it. I loved the teamwork of it. 
I thought it was because I wanted to stay close to the game that I loved, but really it was the connections that that game brought me. And I started working with teams, right? And then I worked with individual athletes while also working with the team. I still coach basketball. I just came from a practice uh, from Wesley College. So uh, I'm still involved in the game, but it's the relationships and the connection with people and being able to see people do things that at one point they didn't think they would be able to or struggle to do so. And you see that, that fulfillment or that, that joy of being able to do that. And it, it's, it's like, I, it's like a high, right? It's like utopia to see people succeed. Uh, so to be able to do that while also being able to use my experiences and that's more on the strategist side. See what kills me. And I know it's uh, when you said, when you changed the wordplay, I was like, Oh, she heard, right. Because there's like this big battle in coaching right now. And the coaches hate me, hate me. Coaches hate me right now. And it's only because like no one, we don't have a governing body. Like we don't have, uh, and I think uh, Tony Robbins says, we don't have anything to hold a standard and make sure that standards being met. And, yeah. and so it's coaching, coaching more. I'm, when I do coaching, I'm more trying to ask questions for them to find their way. Now, when a strategist, I'm more using different ways you can try to play this to get to the result you want. When, when I'm coaching, I'm more, hey, you want to get to this point and you got to get it, you got to get there your way. I can't, I'm not going to tell you the way. You got to get there your way, but we're going to accomplish your goals to get the life you desire. I'm just going to ask you the questions and give you the space in order to get there. It's so important to see that distinction and especially on the coaching side, because I think that um, anybody who hasn't hired a coach or worked with one in the past might be confused as to what they actually do. So much of this podcast is about defining your own idea of success. And that really comes from the fact that we've all been told the way our life is supposed to be lived our entire life. And at some point in time, we have to wake up or we get forced to wake up. I think to everybody, it happens differently. We get forced to wake up and realize that we're not living the life that we're intended to live. And so when you talk about asking questions to help people understand what their path is and find their own path. I think that's a super cool way to describe it. Yes, yeah, definitely. I, and I'm old, right? So let's see, I just got 10 minutes ago. I was telling you how young I am. Now I told you I'm old, All right? I'm old in this, I'm old in the game. I'm old in the game of coaching, right? And I see a lot of the, the newer coaches are like, Hey, listen, do this. You're welcome. I'm like, what? Like that, <laughs> that's not coaching. Like that's, that's right. telling someone what to do which is fine. Don't get it wrong. I'm not knocking your hustle. Just call it right. And it, it's scary because we're playing with lives. And I came, I, maybe it's because I came from a mental health field into this field. And there is, there is standards that you have to maintain in order to be in that field. Uh, just like, you know, through being a lawyer, there's standards you have to maintain in order to be a lawyer, yeah. right? In coaching, I can do anything and I'm, there's nothing to hold me accountable. Yeah. When we first connected the very, very first time that we talked like back in July or August, that was one of the things that you said that really stuck in my mind when we were talking about the coaching field, because I 100% agree with you that there are, that you have the ability to change somebody's life or you have the ability to really impact somebody's life in a negative way. And it's really on each individual person to make sure that they have the integrity to know the difference. What, what I fear happening to the people that find 
the latter that, that don't have that integrity or don't have that knowledge is that they think coaching doesn't work. And then they like write it off completely when in all reality, we are incapable of getting out of our own way. We have to have somebody there in whatever we're doing. And I love that you coach basketball because when I first started working with a coach, that was the first thing that was described to me is you wouldn't expect a championship team to get there without somebody guiding them on how they should be there. So why would you expect to be able to get a championship life without being able to have somebody guide you on how to be there? And I see so many correlations, but I don't want to see people get stuck in saying coaching doesn't work because they have a bad experience. Right. I mean, have you ever had a bad meal or seen a bad movie, saw yeah. a TV show you didn't like? I mean, it, there's bad everywhere. I wish there wasn't. Uh, or, and I mean, bad, that's more of a judgment. There's, there's things that aren't going to be your taste. There's some coaches that aren't going to be your taste. All right. There's some coaches that aren't my taste. I'm in the field. Right. So, I mean, there's a group of coaches that literally make fun of people that get trained in coaching. I don't even understand it. Like you're making fun of someone for getting knowledge and being able to apply it in the field they're in. That's called mastery. Like we all should be trying to master our craft, yes. but it's right. So it's to me, it, you, you can have bad experiences doing everything and anything like you probably had in other areas of life, but you still go out and try restaurants. Yeah. You still go out and watch movies. Like you still go out and watch TV shows. You still listen to different music, even though you've heard a song you haven't liked. So it, to me, I think it's silly when we're like, we write off a whole area because of one, there's going to be some bad coaches, even if they're standards. Like, even if there's a bar, even if there's everything to meet and we make it unbelievable, there's still going to be some in the, in the field, in that space that aren't going to be your style or something or work with you. I don't work with everybody, right? Like people use this phrase, it's not for everyone. I think that's like the most played out phrase just because like literally nothing's for everyone, but, uh, it, it, but it's true. That person, they could, they could be great at what they do too. It's not a knock on them but it just might not be for you or your style or your taste. And I'm not everybody's taste. That's an, important, that's an important distinction as well, because when we are being our authentic selves, we're going to rub people the wrong way. And I mm -hmm. can be super abrasive. Like there was a point in time where I would hold myself back on my opinions and the things that I thought. And in the legal field, like obviously, I'm not talking about changing your behavior to conform with the situation that you're in, because there are just situations where we can't go around acting like the way we want to act. Like I can't walk into a courtroom throwing F-bombs everywhere and like it just doesn't work that way. But there's a difference between like conforming your, your actions to the situation so that you can be successful in that and actually changing who you are at a deeper level to make somebody happy. And when we're being our true authentic selves, there's, we're not going to be everybody's cup of tea. Um, and that's why there's so many coaches. That's why I'm, were you at thrive this year? Mm -hmm. Okay. So when Yaya said we need multiple messengers for the same message, like this mm -hmm. is why, because so many people resonate with different people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's one of the things I preached about Unleash You Now was people were worried because some people were very aligned in their presentation. I said, listen, how I say something, how you say something, that's going to reach different people. Yeah. And, and your event was so great. Um, I know it was your first three year or three day event mm -hmm. and I'm super excited for the next year. Um, I have my ticket already. I'm super excited to come out and I'm, I'm excited to see what you put together because this year was just, so impactful. And I attribute that to the circle that you have of the people that you were able to reach out to and say, Hey, we're putting this together. 
like let's put together the best event we can. It says a lot about who you are as a person to have that quality of people that will come and do this for you on a first event. Right. I'm really lucky like that one really good people and two, they must believe some sort of lie to be able to come together for me. But you're, you're right. And you know, it was the event and, and I mean, you were there and it's really any event when, when you're really in an event and you're really engaged in an event, there's going to be so many little things that happen and it's going to be so much so quick. It's going to take a while to process when you're really moved at an event. It's going to take a moment. It's going to take some time. One of the things I didn't even think of during the event, but after the event, a couple of the people that are uh, very close uh, here came to me and they said, you know how many people went on stage and mentioned you? Like they were like, Trent Shelton literally went on stage and said, I would not be here if it wasn't for Michael reaching out to me. And I just thought that was, that was crazy when I really sat back and thought of it because everybody that came to this event is better than me. And it was like, they were all saying, right? They were all saying something nice to me. And I was just like, this is weird. Right? Like it was almost it, it, at the time I, I didn't even take it in because I reject those things so much, but it was sitting back. It was just like, wow, like they really think I'm nice or something. Like, <laughs> I, I have fooled them beyond belief, but no, it, it was awesome to see. And it was, we were, we, I was having this conversation today. How hard is it going to be to pull that event again? Because just how close and, and and it, it is something we, we aim for. We aim for no difference in speakers and attendees because we're no different. And to see how they embraced that philosophy and everybody came together and there was tables where speakers and attendees, speakers and attendees, there's a, and you mentioned it in one of your podcasts where like Trent Shelton was just hanging out with us. Yeah. Like he was just one of the, one of the guys, right? Yeah, it was, it was crazy. Insane. It was insane. Well, and I could say that about all of the speakers as well, that, and, and I know that this has been said multiple times to people that I've connected with after that it's refreshing the way that every single person that was there to speak was in the audience for the other people's speakers and not because they had to be, but because they wanted to be. And that's just the type of person that came was the person who wants to legitimately grow themselves and isn't just there to speak and then leave. hundred percent. Yeah. The the event, and it's like, I would love to sit here and be like, I did it, right? But the event was what it was because of the people that were there. Well, and it's, I, I love that you just said that because it was a smaller event being the first. I feel mm -hmm. like you guys had so many things going against you and you still pulled off this amazing event because you wanted to do it in a small town in mm -hmm. Georgetown. And yep. then on top of that, the World Series Parade was the second day. And so like they had to win and they had to put the parade at the same time. And so whatever potential attendance you had that was going to come in from that, they were in DC for the mm -hmm. World Series Parade. But I really feel like everybody that was there were the people that were supposed to be there. And I, mm -hmm. I really believe that there will always be this family of year one of Unleash You Now. Like no matter how big it gets, we, it was such a close-knit event that there were bonds formed there that will last a lifetime. Oh, 100%. Uh, the Unleashed You Now family definitely grew and grew not just in numbers, but like love and care and, and meaningful and, you know, deep connections and just the way you want something to grow. It grew, it probably grew the healthiest I've ever been part of something that grew in a three-day span that deep and that real. That's awesome. That's how, that's how I would describe that. That's awesome. So I know that 
there's um, an underlying theme between you've mentioned your mental health background before and your mom. Mm-hmm. And I want to talk about your um, brother's foundation, Joseph Patrick mm-hmm. Favor Memorial Foundation. Can you talk about that a little bit and what you guys do for the community and what your mission is? All right. So uh, we're anti-bullying, anti-drugs and the prevention of life. So the ending of suicide really is. And that's, that's one of my dreams. Uh, if you, it's every once in a while recently that I've been gaining a little momentum, like more than four people know my name now. And uh, so when I get to speak, sometimes they actually let me speak on the ending of suicide and self-interest behavior. And that's my dream. And why I say it that way is I actually, I'm paying homage to Martin Luther King Jr. And when he said he had a dream and the difference with the dream and the goal is the goal I'm going to accomplish, the goal I'm going to set, I'm going to do, right? The dream is that I'm going to, I'm going to try to set this in motion. I'm going to be part of the movement of this, knowing that it might not happen in my lifetime. So it's my dream. It might, it might be bigger than my time. And I'm okay with that. It's just that, but I, I, I see that. And I try to say it that way in order to pay homage and understand it better. Uh, So the foundation we do in-house therapy, travel and and zoom therapy. We do groups, we do individuals, uh, we do a gala. uh, We do Thanksgiving meals. We do a lot of Christmas adoptions and toys. Uh, we do kickballing out of classrooms. We do a prep program for people third grade or lower. Kickballing out prep uh, classrooms is third grade, eighth grade. We do after school activities for high school. Uh, we do motivation, inspirational speeches for high school and colleges. Um, we have coaches, strategists, psychiatrists, psychologists, counselors, on hand nurses. Uh, we do camps. We do leadership trainings. Um, I mean, we, I know I'm missing stuff, but we do the foundation any way we can help. And every year we expand, which is crazy because literally the foundation has zero people on payroll. Oh, wow. Everybody that does anything for the foundation is completely volunteer based and it's all mission driven. Right. that's our idea. And why we did that is because uh, when I was originally stepping in in 2011 to take over as executive director uh, from my mother, I studied and traveled and, entered, and met people in the nonprofit world and found out there's a lot of profit in the nonprofit world. And I said, wow, like when it's about making money and not about impacting lives, there's a different approach. Yep. And I never want to change our approach for the foundation. So it was then it was no, we were going to do our best at that point. It was like never. <laughs> and uh, right in the last couple of years, we almost did it, but we didn't because it's very hard to say goodbye to that idea. Uh, but we try to do a lot as much as we can. And in every area we can try to help. Uh, it, that's our game plan. So anytime we see a need, how can we help? And so that's, that's the idea of the foundation. That's what we're, we're here for. It's named in honor of my brother. My brother's one of the 22 here today. Take their own life. I'm serving for the country. Um, as I mentioned the, the first book earlier, I keep doing a shameless plug. But I said uh, that day it was, uh, it was like I had the opportunity to stay asleep in my dreams or wake up and go towards my nightmare. And I didn't know what happened. I just knew. Uh, so I snuck downstairs and I was watching TV because remember I'm old. And uh, back when TV houses had like one TV, right? Uh, yep. So if I ever, and I'm, I was always a late, uh, like I always stayed up late. Uh, I used to sneak around the house and stuff and I would go down and watch TV. I would sit like right on it. So, cause you could barely have any sound because I didn't want to get yeah. caught. Well, I fell asleep in the living room watching TV and or the TV room, right? And uh, where my head was, you could see out to like the kitchen dining area. And that's where the front door was. And 
I woke up to my mom falling on the ground crying and my dad standing over her and my sister crying. And I was, I didn't know what happened. Uh, so I was just like, wow. So I walked towards, I, you know, I was, I didn't know. I'm, I'm not exactly sure exactly the words I said, but it was something like what happened, who did this thing. something happened to my mom. And uh, that's when my dad told me that uh, Joey died. And that was, uh, I was young. So I didn't fully understand life and uh, how finite it was and, and everything it meant. Uh, so it was kind of like, I saw everybody else upset and how emotional they were and not understanding it and being upset. I tried to bury that. Uh, and that was part of the, I mean, that was part of my excuse for how I lived my life or how I created the life I lived earlier on was because I, w I got really good at burying things and not dealing with them. Well, I thought I got good at it. Clearly I didn't, <laughs> but I thought I was really good at it. And that, that made me angry. It made me unheard. Uh, made me felt like it wasn't fair, uh, like why it was me against the world mentality. And that's what led me down some roads that were not so great. It's interesting how that shows up differently for everybody, because when you and I talked, you know that we have a lot of similarities in our story. And my life has been touched by suicide as well in two family members. One of them, when I was really young, my dad also passed away. And we talked about this when we talked for the first time. And one of the underlying themes that has run through my life has just been this idea of loss. And when you talk about um, getting really good at burying things, I did the same thing. What's interesting to me is how different it shows up in people. So for me, when I buried things, I just focused on education because it's the only thing that I knew. And that's why I ended up in, in law school. Um, because like I, I separated myself and compartmentalized so much that I convinced myself I was okay. And I always tell people that it's amazing how much life you can actually live without living your life when you bury things like that. Because it wasn't until I crashed in 2016 that I realized how I had just been kind of like sleepwalking for the last 15 years. Just a long time to sleepwalk. See, uh, what you described there, there there's the, uh, when we bury something, there's a hole. And how we try to fill that hole is either through, so how you handle it. You handle it through accomplishment right? It was getting your grades. It was getting your degrees. It was getting, you know, becoming this and that's how I'm showing it. Right. And for me, it was the opposite. It was through destruction. Yeah. It was, I'm hurting. How else can, how can I make it feel like it's justified? How can I make it feel like other people feel me because yeah. you don't understand. So how can you feel me? So it was making people feel me on. So then I felt like they, now you get me kind of moment. Yeah. And I, I think that distinction is really important because so many times we, we never know anybody's story. And so whenever we make judgment on another person, um, we're making judgment without knowing their story. But what's really interesting about this is that you can be looking at that person that everybody sees as the screw up and making judgment on their story um, in a negative way. And you can be looking at somebody that everybody sees as the success and making judgment on their story and underneath at a like physiological level they're both dealing with the same thing and it's just kind of how crazy. they're handling it yeah is, is is different and that and it is crazy that they're both seeking the same thing yeah you know, absolutely and you know s similar to you when i finally got to the point 
where I've been telling people lately that like the universe will give you signs that you need to change your life. And when you don't listen every now and then it'll just like wax you upside the head with a two by four. And 2016 was my two by four. And so I initially said that I started working on myself in 2016 because I had to not because I wanted to. And then eventually that turned into something that I wanted to do. And it's not until you really start allowing yourself to feel that you um, start to recover. And I love what you said about waking up and going into your nightmares because this process sucks and it's worth it on the other side, but it's, it's hard to go through and it takes dedication to go through and really be willing to face your demons to come out better on the other side. 100%. Growth is tough. And any form of it. Think when you're growing taller, normally your bones ache, right? Like uh, you get oscillators if you're unlucky like me. Uh, the, it's, it's anything. In, in any area, growth hurts. It's painful. And the worst part of this is it's not a physical pain. Like physical pain, I don't know, maybe me, per, my own perspective, physical pain I can deal with. Yeah. Right? There comes a time where I'm like, all right, I know this is going to hurt like this and that's it right? The emotional pain, you can think you got rock and then the next page is a harder rock and a bigger one that's about to hit you. And there's no preparing or knowing that's coming other than going through it. Yeah. Our society also doesn't help with that either because physical pain they can accept, but emotional pain they can't because they can't see. And right. so, so many times when somebody's going through something in an emotional or a mental pain, um, they look fine and society's idea is, oh, there's nothing really wrong with you, which mm -hmm. is something that I'm so um, impressed with your foundation because you do such a good job of trying to bring that to light. Right. One of the big things we always talk about is, you know, it's your show is about being authentic, right? Being real. Yeah. And the one thing we always say is like, we have to be in order to be able to pro progress together in order to be able to make progress together. We have to be super real about what we feel, who we are, what we've been through, like the situations. And one of the things that I absolutely loved about the event was how so many people were so vulnerable on that stage and had the courage to speak truth, the things they went through, the experiences they had, the, the straight pain. I mean, even everybody down to the MC, Alex, right? My dude, to go out there and say, hey, listen, I know what you guys have been through. I'm, I've been through it, right? So I can relate at least. We have, and it was just, I've, I've never seen that dude talk like that about a story. I, I knew a story, but just, just for the strength and to do it and to stay cute, cool with it, right? Stay even cool and not get too where it's like you over, right? Because there, you can't, there, there's no such thing as over emotion, but on the stage there is, right? Because then you lose message and, and you get people like, oh, I just feel bad for that person rather than I want to feel what that person's saying. And it was just so amazing how everybody could do that. And then, that empower that opened the door for people in the in the seats to do it. Yeah, and there were so absolutely. many people. There were so many people that went up to somebody and said, "Thank you so much for sharing what you did." I went through the same thing. You doing that gave me strength. I was just like, "Yes, like this is what we do." This. Yeah, absolutely. And anybody who wants to go deeper into my re my response from the event, you can go listen to my recap. I go into it pretty deep in there. But the only thing that I'll say is that for me, the one 
I did a ton of healing at that event, as you know, and um, I attribute it to the fact that although everybody had their own message, there was an underlying theme that people had suffered from loss and they were all willing to talk about it. And that allowed me to probably for the first time in my life heal over my dad's death and over the loss in my life. And I think that there's so many amazing things that came from that. That's awesome. Uh, it makes me, I, I try, you make me emotional. So I try not to be so emotional now, especially on your show, because that's weird. But you, the way you, the way you speak of it and, and how you, how you opened up to be able to, to do that. Cause I mean, that's great that it happened at the event, but if you wouldn't open up to it, it wouldn't have happened. And, and one of the thing in the scene, especially this, the, the space we're in, people try to make it out like it's all luxury. Like it's all great, right? We live in that Instagram world, that filter yep. world right? Everything's fantastic. And, and that's not real. Like that's not how life is. Not everything's fantastic for anybody. Everybody's been through something, right? I also laugh at the people that are like, you have no idea what I've been, what I've been through is harder than what anybody's been through. And I'm like, stop it. Like what you've been through is the hardest thing for you. You've been through. And what they've been through is the hardest thing for them. They've been through. Like it's not, it's not a tit for tat story, but also that fakeness that makes people feel like they can't say I'm broken. Like we're all broken. Yeah. That doesn't mean we can't do great things. That doesn't mean we can't impact the world. That doesn't mean we can't make a fortune, live free, do it, whatever it is that you seek. It doesn't mean you can't do that. And why the, all those people that were, that were there were picked out to be there was because they all have been through that and they all have bounced and found their life through it, almost because of it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and for me, when I hear people talk about that, what goes through my head is I'm really concerned for you because when you say things like that, you're basically challenging the universe to give you something worse than what you've been through. Because mm -hmm. if you think that what you've been through is the worst thing on the planet, you're going to be real disappointed when that next thing comes and it's worse mm -hmm. than what you've been through because it's coming. Like none of us make it out of this unscathed. And just yeah. when we think that we've got stuff figured out, the rug gets pulled out from under us and we got to shake things up and we got to deal with stuff again. So if you're stuck in that victim mentality, like my life's worse than yours, you're going to be real disappointed when it gets worse mm -hmm. than it is now. Mm -hmm. right. It's also, like, like the universe listens. So challenge mm -hmm. it. It'll give it to you. Whether you give it mm -hmm. positive stuff or negative stuff, it'll respond mm -hmm. to what you give it. And right. And it's also like that to me, I, then I say, what, what's your mindset that that's where you are? Like my, my story, my story isn't my, this, this, this is a tough one to word in a way that I won't feel like I, I said it with lack of dignity. The, my story is my push, right? My story is, is my backbone my story isn't my front, right? Like, cause I already lived through my story. What I talk about when I, when I say the different parts of my thing, when, from different stages, different, different interviews, different stages, different speeches and presentations, I'll say different stories because it's to what point I want to get across. Right. But it's that, that's not what, that's not where I'm going. I went there. Right. Or like what I'm going towards is a complete different life. That makes me know not to go back. Yeah. But that's not what makes me go forward. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I know one of the things when I started working with my coach and started doing the NLP training, she really discouraged stories in the beginning because there's a difference between telling the story when you're still sitting in that emotion and telling the story after you've gotten through it. And so when you're on stage and you're speaking and you've gotten through that, your story becomes inspirational. But when you're still sitting in that emotion, it just empowers you to sit in that emotion even more and it prevents you from your growth. And the really interesting thing is that's what it does to you, but what it does to the person listening is they can tell the difference. They can tell the difference between somebody who has made it through their story and is using it as power and somebody who's still sitting in it. Uh, how, how I separate those is one's a story and one's a state. You're oh, I in like a that. State, right? You're in a state. A story is something that's already happened. It's, it's in time. I like that a lot. So um, I want to give you an opportunity to actually plug your book instead of shamelessly plug your book. So you Which one? Have, Which one? You, Which one? Both of uh, them. So you have two nice. books. I think yep. they're both um, still available on Amazon. Mm-hmm. The third one's almost done. So why don't you tell people about your books and where they can find them? So you can, uh, you can find them on Amazon or any unlucky bookstore that had one uh, or library. Um, and I'm sure if they did, they're probably still on the shelf. The first book I wrote might be the worst book ever written. You should definitely check it out. You'll get a good laugh at it. But it's a different type of book. I want every, everything I do, I want it to be somewhat different because I want it to be me. And I don't want to just follow suit. Right? I'm not John Maxwell. I don't want to write 20 times the 15 laws of leadership. Right? The, the, and by the way, I have every single one of them on this bookshelf. But, <laughs> so I'm not knocking them. Uh, and I'm a jmt right? JMT-DNA. The uh, shameless plug for them. Like that. I'm just giving other people plugs too. Love Whatever. it. Love it. I'm like Oprah. It's what you do. Value everywhere. Just plug them all. <laughs> right? Uh, add value to get worth. Um, the, uh, so the first one is your story. You have every reason to quit, but don't. And that was pretty much talking about my younger life and uh, my younger years and how I really stacked the odds against me so many different ways. I stacked the deck to go against me by my own doing uh, in so many different ways. And still I'm here kind of thing. And what it did was it shows the lessons I learned through different things I went through. And then it gives a couple blank pages with, well, with lines and you write a point in your life where what you went through, you got this message out or this lesson or this, this strength or skill. And at the end, you take all those pages out and you put them together and you have your story. And you don't need someone else's story to gain strength or confidence or belief. You need to see what you went through and how you conquered that. And that's kind of why I wrote that. Uh, that's kind of why I wrote that book. And that's why I wrote that book. The first one, first one I really wrote because I was, uh, I was, I'm still very immature in a lot of ways. And I was challenged to write a book and they were like, you won't do it. Right. Double dog dare you kind of stuff. And I was like, Oh, I'll do it. And then I ended up doing it. And I was like, that was stupid. I just fell for it. And uh, so we've learned so far that you're old, young and immature all within like a 30 minute period. You're welcome. I'm a whole package. <laughs> the um, whole package. Right? So, so what's that book called again? Your story. You have every reason to quit, but don't. Awesome. And, and that was kind of the point of that book. And then the second book I wrote was called F the Norm. Um, you fill in whatever you believe F is. Uh, and really that book, the whole idea was to show something you said earlier that is true and isn't true. They say, show me five, five, four billionaires and the fifth person with them will be the fifth, right? Mm-hmm. there's a piece of that where I'm like, all right, but there's a piece of that where I go, I know a bunch of people that have became million and billionaires that did not hang out with million and billionaires. I know a bunch of people that became politicians, presidents that didn't hang out with presidents. 
know a bunch of CEOs and entrepreneurs and hang out with CEOs and entrepreneurs, right? So I don't understand that and I understand that in a way, right? I believe the circle you're with, your surroundings, your environment can hold you, delay you, make it longer, right? Make you go through detours to get there, but you can still get there. Uh, I don't believe it makes you, that's why, like, if it was that way, there would be no feel-good story. Right. And there's a bunch of feel-good stories. And so I wanted to say F the norm because there's, in the society, we're taught this, these things are made to believe these things you do in a certain way, and that's what gets you there, right? And myself, especially, but I'm leaving you now, is that that's not our thing. Like, I don't, we don't believe in the imaginary box. Like, we're not in or out of it. There's no box. Right? It's like somebody makes that up to make them feel better. Right? Like, <laughs> there's no box. We're not going to sell the story of the box. Right? Like, we're not going to fall into society norms. We're not going to buy into the things that are meant to hold us back. We're not going to give you 40 years to hope to get 10 years of freedom. Like, we're not going to do it. That's not our mindset. That's not our, what we're about. And, and that's kind of like our cry for liberty. It's like, we're not in. And you're going to see an awesome video coming soon that actually, where we, we actually, for the first time, like, publicize our cry for liberty. That's where it's awesome. something where like most people inside will know, but uh, outside you really probably never heard of. So we're going to make this awesome video. I'm so pumped about this video. I thought they were going to turn me down. There's animals in it. Uh, I'm wearing a bear skin, right? Like Samar has a vest on. Like it's, <laughs> it's crazy. There's a throne chair. It's like fake snow. Like it's crazy. Right? I'm, I'm excited. excited. Right. Me too. I was like, I couldn't believe they didn't turn me down. Sounds um, like Miramax so. worthy. Right. That's what I'm like. It's like, it has to be, we have to hit, right? Like now's our time. Let's hit. And, uh, but it's, it's, that's our mindset. So I want to write F the norm because it's, it's showing a bunch of people that should never have been where they were. Right. Air quotes. I don't know if you can see me around. So air quotes, the, the, the Abraham Lincoln should not have been president of the United States. And he's one of the greatest ever did it. Right. And you always hear me talk about him because I talk about him on my, it doesn't matter what you do. It matters how you do what you do. Yeah. Right. And it's like, and it, go, it goes into some, so I say stories, my own story, and I bring in some really famous people that everybody knows. And I talk about their story a little bit and how they, it, theoretically, if we followed suit with society, they shouldn't have been where they were. And they're one of the best to ever do what they do. So it's, that's how little we should pay attention to the norms and just go live your life, right? Like go for what you want, right? Because there's no DNA that's meant for greatness other than everyone's. Yeah, right? like absolutely. We're all here to do something great. So it's, uh, that's kind of what that book is about. And, and it, it does uh, a deep dive into that aspect. And it goes through a couple of traits or things that we should know in order to get there, right? Because that's one thing I feel like we're not prepared for the battles. And yes. I was like, all right, how can we be per more prepared for the battles? And I kind of wrote this book thinking, these are some things that to be great, you're going to have to go through experience or know in order to get through and go through and grow through the situations to get there. And the third it. book is, uh, third book is actually, you're in the, the, the business group for it and it's called Know Your Business. And it's a deep dive into how to build businesses that can succeed for long-term. I love it. So the first two you guys can go check out on Amazon. They are available. Mm -hmm. The third one, do you have a release date on that yet? Nope, but sometime in 2020. Awesome. So, so one just of give the, or take 365 days. 
Give or take. Awesome. Give or take. (laughs) Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the show. I hope that something that was said resonated with you or provided value to you in one way or another. I'd love to hear more about your thoughts on the show. You can reach out to me on Facebook or Instagram at Amber Furman. Also, I've created a Facebook community for followers of the show to interact with me and other members of the community. You can find that on Facebook at More Than Corporate. So go ahead and join that group if you'd like to stay up to date on podcast happenings and meet some really cool people. Again, thanks so much for tuning in.